Thank you so much. Well, good evening, everyone. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to share God's word with you again. Great forward planning, actually, by the way, girls, to have your onesie on ready before church. I think that's a tremendous idea. I I might get myself a preaching onesie, and then I'd be all ready for bed when I got home, wouldn't I? And just hot chocolate and straight to bed, it'd be ideal. So I'll see what I can find. may surprise you all another time. Um, Let's just... Oh, no, before we come, uh, let me just introduce what I'm going to speak about before we read it together. Um, Some of our words make a big difference. Most don't. Most is chatter and things, but sometimes something we say can can have a big impact or something that's said to us, like the sign someone says, I'm pleased to tell you you've passed your driving test, or will you marry me? And whether you say yes or no, just one word can make a big difference to, uh, to life. Um, a lot of words just pass by in a day. I don't know how many we speak in a day. There's been various studies um, that range from like 7,000 on average to 20,000 on average. All of the studies seem to vary quite a lot, apart from one fact, which I'm sorry, this is just... This is what the surveys say. Um, it's not my opinion that always women <laughs> quite a lot more words in a day than men. But that's just uh, how it happens to be. So, um, yeah, I'm not passing any comment on that. Uh, just a, a little story. Um, in 1863, two armies clashed. Um, let's see if this one's going to work. Oh, it's not, no. Is it? Oh, yeah, there we go. Is that me or you, Kevin, doing that? Oh, that's you. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll just nod. Okay. <laughs> um, two armies clashed, and um, in the coming week or so, um, over 50,000 men died. The fact that they all came from the same country and were killed fighting each other made it even worse. Gettysburg ran with the blood of Union and Confederate soldiers, bodies built up faster than they could be buried. After such a horror, when peace had sort of come to the land, um, a ceremony was held, and they looked uh, for someone who could speak at such an event, and found a man called Edward Everett, who was America's sort of greatest orator of his day. Lots of people would be present at Gettysburg that day to hear the address that he would give, and he's didn't disappoint. He spoke to them for one hour and 57 minutes. Don't worry. (laughs) Um, And they listened. He was brilliant intellectually, but as one person on the day said, he left everyone as cold as ice. Out of politeness, somebody else was asked to speak, not really known for his great speeches. Um, His name was Abraham Lincoln. And... um, Lincoln spoke words that we call today the Gettysburg Address. 272 words. Took him three minutes. And what he said in those words has gone down in history and had a lot to do with shaping the country that America became, um, founding really the Declaration of Independence as their, their founding document, setting up that all men were created equal and they would strive Uh, for human decency and democracy in their country. Surprising what you can say in such a short amount of time with so few words. 
Jesus, too, was a master at speaking and saying so much in so few words. Um, he was able, uh, often if you read some of his stories, he says so little. And yet the words that he says are timed and with such authority that they change lives and history. The Think of the Lord's Prayer, we've had it mentioned by Jenny tonight. Just a few words. And how many times have they been repeated and thought about and preached on and written about? Think of the Sermon on the Mount even, a little bit longer, but it's still not many words. Or the parable of the prodigal son, or, or his discourse at the Last Supper, or even his cries from the cross. Just seven little utterances that have meant so much to so many people. Well, at the end of his time on earth, he would speak. And when translated into English, in my Bible at least, which um, is the NIV I'm reading from tonight, um, is 61 words. And they have affected the course of human history. The instructions he left to his disciple, the mission his followers were to embark upon until the end of the age. But as you look at the mission, and this is what struck me as new um, to, to my mind the other day when I read it, it, it isn't just about the mission, but actually in giving him the mission, sorry, in giving his followers their mission, he also gives an incredible description of Christianity and what it is all about. So um, we're going to read them together, and we're going to think of them actually in terms of clearing up some of the myths that sometimes we have in our minds about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So if you'd like to follow, we're in Matthew 28, and um, we're going to read from verse 16. And for the sake of precision, it's 61 words. Well, it's a little more because there's a description actually at the beginning. Verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, okay, here we go. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. There we go. Not many words, was it? Didn't take long to read. But what incredible descriptive powers of the Christian life are there. What incredible authority those words are spoken with. So let's have a little look through them. And um, first up we have, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the little myth that I just put underneath that one, if we click again, is this. Jesus is not a door-to-door salesman. What do I mean by that? Certainly not so you don't get the wrong idea that we should never knock on a door if that's what God has led us to, uh, in a way, to share the gospel. What I'm trying to say is this. Jesus is not in charge of a social club that's trying to recruit members. He doesn't turn up trying to sell a product competing in the marketplace with what he has to offer it. He stands unequaled. He has no peers, no one to compare to him. His authority is absolute. His authority to control all events down through human history. To judge people, he has absolute authority to stand as judge 
over all mankind. He has absolute authority to bring in his kingdom and defeat his enemies. We are not meant to decide if we accept Jesus. We are meant to bow before his unparalleled majesty and declare him Lord. And sometimes when I hear the way that Jesus is offered and people have the chance to accept him like they are choosing a cleaning product in Asda or Tesco or other supermarkets are available. Do you know what I mean? The way that he is offered to us like it's something we can stand and choose whether we accept him or not. And I'm not trying to say we don't have a choice, but read those words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He has no peers, no equals, no rivals. He stands unparalleled over all of human history, over all of creation in heaven and earth and under the earth. And we come before him and the very best we can do is bow before him and realize he is the Lord of all. That's who Jesus is. That's who we come before when we talk to him, when we think about him, when we worship him. It's a huge privilege to be in his presence. A friend of mine, Bob Telford, who's a a preacher, tells the story of um, one Christian like Jenny was uh, talking about earlier, actually, who was sharing his faith and was sat um, chatting to, to this other man and having described the something about Christianity to him, this man turned to Bob's friend and said, so um, if I became a Christian, would I have to give up my pint of beer? Now, if you'd been the Christian in that situation, I wonder what you'd have said. Um, Would you have started explaining Christians' attitudes towards alcohol? Well, what the guy said was really good. He said, are you seriously comparing Jesus Christ to a pint of beer? He stands in absolute authority. He is uncomparable in what he offers to us and in who he is. And as we bring him to people, we're not trying to compare him to other things that other people or religions or society may give to him. He is everything, and he should be everything to us. But Jesus went on with his words, and secondly, he said this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. So uh, we have a little myth here that um, sometimes crops up um, in our thinking, maybe very subtly. Oh, hello. Can we go back one? um, And that's this, that our job is to wait for people to come in to tell them about Jesus. Um, I've been in prayer meetings, I expect you have, where people have prayed, oh Lord, please bring the people in. Well, that wasn't the Great Commission. The Great Commission is we go and tell. We go and make Christ known. We go and make disciples of all nations. We need an awareness day by day of the mission that Jesus has given to us. If we're Christians, we're part of this. We have this going mission to go and make Christ known in this world. Can I just speak honestly about this? I I think part of it, for me, and you may or may not relate to this, but I think it often comes down to habit. 
I look back at my life and sometimes I look and think, I, I've gone ages and I haven't told anybody about Jesus out there. You know, I always do in here, it's my job. But, um, you know, out, out there, I haven't been in a conversation for a long time. I, other weeks, I, I'll think, actually, I've, I've spoken to people this week. And I don't think it's people out there that have changed. I think it's me. And I th- honestly, all I think it is sometimes I get out of the habit of doing it. And some days, if I get in a good habit, I'll I'll wake up in the morning and I'll ask the Lord to give me opportunities that day. And I'll go into that day looking for opportunities. Who's around me? I'm not not being silly, not sort of shouting points at people that walk past me and and trying to turn them away. But actually saying, Lord, is there someone today that you want me to share my faith with? Is there somewhere I can give a word about you? You know, is there someone who, you know, as Jenny said, maybe looks a bit sad that I can sit with and chat to or ask how they are? Just make me aware, Lord. Prompt me. And, And if I get in that habit, I think it really changes. And if I get out of the habit, suddenly I just forget about it a bit, if I'm honest. It's not very good confession from a preacher, is it? But I I think I do. Does anybody else relate to that? That maybe actually what we need to do tomorrow morning is get up and say, well, Lord, it's Monday and I'm going to meet a lot of people today. Some I'll know and some I won't. But if there's anywhere I can say something for you, will you just nudge my heart? Will you just remind me through this day? And then go through the day with that prayer in our, our minds, just being ready, just realizing again that actually Jesus has said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Go, be out there. Uh, and church is great. I mean, if you can get people to church, it's a brilliant place to tell them. You know, you can have people that can, you know, you've got all the stuff in here. We can explain the gospel and, and everything else. You've got everything you need. It's great if they come. But first of all, go. Go and tell. When did you last tell somebody about the Savior? When did you last explain the gospel to a friend or relative or stranger that you met? Wouldn't it be good if next week you could come and share stories of who you shared your faith with in the last seven days? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Have you ever considered the mission field? Have you ever said to God, actually, God, if... You want me. I'm available. I'm not saying he'll send you. He's put you in this culture for a reason, and who knows, maybe he needs you here to tell your next-door neighbor, but maybe he needs you in South America or Africa or the, who knows. Have you ever just said to the Lord, Lord, if you, you want me to, I'll go. You commanded us to go to all nations. Something to, to think about. So go and make disciples. Hmm. Go and make disciples of all nations. A new Christian hasn't chosen a club to join. He or she has become a disciple of Jesus, chosen to follow him, to be asked uh, him to be saviour and Lord. Disciples learn from their teachers, seek to be like them, Sometimes we get, um, can we click again, Christianity down, and one more, <laughs> to, to almost being, oh, well, no, we've gone too far, <laughs> and like a, a, a social club, and, you know, and, and it sort of come in and, and be jolly, but Jesus says, you have to make disciples who will take up their cross and follow me. 
Sometimes, again, we have Christianity and it's almost down to sort of a, a little prayer and we ask Jesus to take our sins away, give us home in heaven and then head back to our lives. But Jesus take, says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Daily, walk after me. Do the things that I do. Be concerned about the things I'm concerned about. Become like me. Be ready to do as I ask you to do. I always find John chapter 6 very interesting. Jesus at that time was very popular. He had big crowds of people used to follow him. They loved the stories. They loved the miracles. They loved the arguments that sometimes happen between Jesus and the teachers of the law. Uh, And Jesus would um, sometimes be followed by thousands of people. But one day he gave this teaching, which the people thought was quite hard. Uh, And at that moment, a lot of them said, I don't actually like this now, I'm going home. And they turned and walked away. And Jesus didn't run after them and say, hang on, hang on, come back, come back, we'll talk, let me talk to you about this, we'll, we'll just sort, sort it all out. Um, you know, don't take it the wrong way. He didn't say that at all. What would you do? I wonder what your elders here would do if you all started walking out the door because you didn't like the teaching. Think they'd run after you or let you go? Well, Jesus let them go. He let them go. And then, in fact, he turned to his most loyal followers And said, are you going as well? And I love what Peter said in that moment. I love what Peter said. He shrugged. Oh, I think he did. And said, to whom shall we go? In other words, Peter had no plan B for his life. It was all about Jesus. He was a disciple of Jesus. He made mistakes. Yes, we all do. But he was going to follow Jesus come what may. And he didn't have a plan B. Have you got a plan B? For your life? Or are you a disciple of Jesus? You've thrown everything after him. You're following him, come what may. Christianity was never meant to be like a social club where we turn up and just enjoy it all. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, come what may. And if you don't like it, dig in. Keep going. Persevere. Never give up. Jesus commands us to go and make disciples. To make disciples, people who will follow him. And fourthly, to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Which, I don't know if this is a myth or not, but I know sometimes when I um, talk to people... Um, the idea of baptism, especially as adults being baptized, uh, sort of familiar, often, you know, I, I was talking about it in school to some kids the other day, and they immediately think of christening um, babies and getting them wet and stuff. Um, the idea of an adult actually being baptized is, is quite strange. So, um, um, but it's not some weird initiation ceremony that we've dreamt up. Baptism is done in obedience to Jesus because he commands us to be baptized. It's done because we want to show outwardly what's happened to us inwardly, the change that no one can see. And also because it follows the pattern that Jesus set for us of um, death, burial, and resurrection. One more click. And that actually highlights some other myths The cross is not a pretty symbol that we wear on jewellery, first and foremost. And the grave of Jesus is not his final resting place, marked with beautiful flowers. And his resurrection is not 
a fairy tale. The cross of Jesus was a brutal killing machine that ended his life. The grave held his corpse from the Friday until the Sunday morning, and then it wasn't needed anymore. And his resurrection is a better established fact of history than loads of completely unchallenged things that have happened that we document or have been documented and we read about and quite happily accept. When Jesus spoke to a guy called Nicodemus as to what it meant to be a Christian, he spoke of new birth. So utterly transformational was the change in someone's life when they became a Christian that as Jesus searched around for a way of illustrating it to Nicodemus to give him a picture of what it meant for someone to become a follower of Jesus, he struck on the idea of birth and said, you must be born again. Now, I don't know about you, the day I got born for the first time was a big day in my life. Um, you know, until then, everything being warm, cozy, and fairly, you know, going along fairly steadily. It's pretty well after that, everything started to go downhill. But uh, up until that day, but that day was transformational for me. And I'm guessing for you as well. You probably don't remember it, but really it did change your life like no other day, apart from one day, which is the day for many of you and for me when we became Christians. And Jesus said, look, I want to try and show you just how radical, just how transformational it is to become a Christian. It's like being born again. It's a second birth. You're coming into such a brand new way of life. Christianity isn't a religious practice to follow. It isn't a club to join, uh, a nice place to have a cup of tea, although, you know, we're friends, although it is that as well. It is a massive transformation in our lives. And following that picture of, of becoming a Christian, Jesus also gives us this radical practice of baptism, of dying to an old way of life, going down into water, of sharing in Jesus' burial, burial and then rising to a new life. Now not run in our own strength, but with the power of the Holy Spirit of God coursing through our lives, helping us to be the people God's created us to be and to help us once again to be able to live and, uh, and be in his image, transformed to be like Jesus. And so we have this picture and this practice, both of which are totally radical, totally transformational of what it means to be a Christian, that we're born again and we are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to show just the extreme happenings that have gone on within us by the Holy Spirit of God. Have you been baptized? I don't know for you. I hope you have. I hope you've been obedient to Jesus if you're a Christian and have shown to the world and to those that come to see the change that Jesus has made to you. So that's what we are to do, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Which reminds us that, um, if we click once more, that Jesus did not make suggestions to be considered. He didn't give us a few ideas and philosophies that we might want to engage with. Jesus gave us commands to be obeyed. In the Bible, we're called children, soldiers, disciples. 
all of which are under the authority of somebody who tells them what to do, who gives them commandments about how to live. And we are expected, friends, to obey or die trying. And in this world today, people will no doubt have died trying to follow Jesus in places where it's a lot tougher to be a Christian than it is here. Do you know how we show our love for God, according to Jesus? In the beautiful songs that we sing, in the instruments that play, and we sing beautiful words and lyrics and lift our hearts in a congregation to him. Is that how we show our love? Well, actually, yes, to an extent. You know, it's lovely to have that creativeness and to be able to worship together with God's people in song is beautiful. But do you know what Jesus said about um, how we show our love for him? He said, if you obey me, you will obey what I have commanded you. You want to show me that you love me? Then do as you're told. That's it. (laughs) Do as you're told. Jesus gives us commands to be obeyed. Are you obedient to Christ? Is he calling you to do anything now, to give up something, to, to go and do something, and you know it in your heart that this is what you should be doing, and, and you've resisted that? Jesus commands and expects us to obey. And sixthly, this beautiful ending that has been quoted so often, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Christianity is not about religious practice, but a relationship. I know if you look in the dictionary, Christianity will be listed as a religion. I understand that and what it means. And, you know, it's people and their relationship or, you know, their response to God or whatever. I I understand that. But at its very heart, of course, we're not here for religious practice. We don't come to go through the motions. You know that, don't you? At its very heart, Christianity is this wonderful relationship that we can have with God. We don't have certain words to say or to recite. And I mean, Jenny's own testimony has just illustrated this, the difference for us tonight. Her early experience of religion and then her later relationship with Jesus. And this just reminds us 24-7, God is there. He is with us. Spend time with him. Be friends with him, day by day, moment by moment. I mean, we're in, in January still, aren't we? Yeah, that's right. It was Christmas a couple of days ago, wasn't it? And now it's January, that's right. Um, yeah, how are you getting on with your Bible reading this year? Have you got a way of reading the scriptures this year? You're spending time day by day just in God's word? How's your prayer life? Are you with him, talking with him, spending more time than you were last January in prayer? Conscious of him. Sharing life with him. He's with you always. There's two sets of footprints on the the screen. He's there. He wants to share life with you. Thing is, you see, if we start all of this in in summary with, with the wrong idea of who God is, who Jesus is, our response to him will be all wrong. He's not one choice amongst many. Only he could die for you as a perfect sacrifice. He is the only one who can take away the guilt of sin. He's the only one who has died in your place. There's no other person, no other God, no other way. And this isn't a hobby that he's called us to. 
Again, that's why baptism is such a clear and powerful picture. He calls us to believe and be baptized. To have a transformational experience of him. To stand before him in all of his authority and submit our lives to him. To allow him to be our savior, yes, to take our sins away, to make us right for heaven, to give us a relationship with God. But he is our savior and our Lord. He is there to command us as his disciples. To stand over our lives as he stands over all of creation with absolute authority. See, frankly, I couldn't be bothered to try and build the membership of a club to keep the numbers up so that the singing's good and the offering you know, helps balance the books. Um, but to tell people about the King of Kings, to share a message which transforms lives and changes the eternal destiny of those who believe, well, that's something worth doing, isn't it? That's worth being involved in, isn't it? Something worth responding to. This isn't church attendance. This isn't even about meeting Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. This is a chance to know him in all of his glory and wonder and power and authority. The one who stands over heaven and earth, whom angels worship, where it was there before time began, and it will one day end at his command. The Alpha and Omega, the centerpiece of it all, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. And tonight, he, he says to us, look, I've got all authority. Will you bow before me? Will you obey me? Will you come after me? Will you follow me? Someone said once, this life isn't worth living until you found something worth dying for. I wonder if you have. I wonder if I have. So a final question for you is this. Will these 61 words change you? Will they change me? Will we come before Jesus and just remind ourselves again of all that he has called us to? Talking of the authority and the wonder of who Jesus is, we're going to sing our closing song, which is appropriately the splendor of the King. stand and sing and then we'll just pray at the end um, to close our service.